I would invite you to go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 10. We are in graduation season, and uh, just leave your hand up until uh, you get a paper in your hand, and that will signify, in our own home, we had a fifth grader, we had an eighth grader, and a senior in high school, all in graduation, and there's, there's a couple of discussions going on in our house as to whether something is a promotion or a graduation. There's a little argument going back and forth there, and there's another argument going as to whether these events are thrilling or boring. Um, I was with my four-year-old daughter, Kaya, at my fifth grade daughter's graduation slash promotion slash moving on to the next grade, and she turns to me and she said, partway through the ceremony, do you think those kids are really bored? <laughs> I think she was voicing her own experience into that. I pled the fifth on that one. Graduations, though, what they are in our culture is a marker, right? They're a signpost that says, you have definitely made it here. Good job. And those are needed. Those are needed in any culture. Those are needed in any kind of development is to say, am I making any progress? Am I getting somewhere? And for sure, um, graduations tend to, to, to be one of those. We're coming to the end of a series that we've called Red Words, and it's just giving importance to the words of Christ because they're worthy to, to give importance of them. Um, as we move on from this series, uh, don't move on from the Red Words of Christ. Um, if, 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 you're, if you're like some people that I talk to, some of us are a little bit hyper about this, and we have our checklists, and we have our reading plans, and we know right when we're going to read and all of that. But, but some people just say, you know what, I, I really do want to read God's Word, but I'm, I'm in between something right now, or I don't know where to begin. Can I just encourage you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament, start reading there. It's the life and story of Jesus Christ, and you'll get a lot of what Jesus said. And these are the most important words recorded for us. So, so start there, uh, continue there, and then keep on going there. Matthew chapter 10 is where we'll be. And, and what we see in, in Matthew chapter 10 uh, is, is part graduation speech, and it's part uh, coach's pep talk, like win one for the gipper type thing. Uh, he's, he's huddled up his team, and he's, he's giving them some instruction as he sends out his disciples. You've heard of the Sermon on the Mount, right? That's one of the lengthy sermons that Matthew records for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We, we looked at that in this series. This is a little bit lesser known, but if you were to call it something, you might call it Sermon to the Twelve. It's an extended sermon that's written, that, that's given, that's addressed to his twelve guides, to his core inner circle. And Matthew saw fit through the Holy Spirit to let us in on this, on this lengthy um, sermon that he offers up. The title is Beginning and Not the End, and, and this is true of the signpost that we call graduations, right? Isn't there a point to the, to the diploma, to the degree, to all that training, right? It's not like that's the end, really. That, that's really merely the beginning. That signpost, that marker is really important to get to so that you can launch into something uh, else, Think about the Christian life for a moment. The Christian life is checking the Jesus box, and then it's going out and living the Jesus life. It's a real signpost to make a definitive decision to say, I receive from Jesus Christ uh, the life and the forgiveness and the grace that he offers to me. But that's just a signpost. That, that's so that you can go out and live the Jesus life. Surveys often will ask, what religion are you? And they have people check a box. And so people will go through and, and check whatever religion that they are. Sometimes when I'm talking to people and, and I find out what, what their faith is, what their religion is, they'll, they'll tell me pretty readily. And they'll ask them a second question. I'll say this, and are you practicing? 
And if you think about it, isn't the second question far more revealing about the person's story and just kind of who they are? And if they would entrust you with that second um, answer, they're really opening up to you. They're really sharing something with you. And many people say, oh, no, I'm not really practicing. So there's, a, there's something that they're called, right? But then there's something that they're actually living and doing. And by far, the second one tells us more than the first one. It matters less what you call yourself and more what you do. You see, Jesus doesn't recruit us to a title of Christian. He's recruited us to a mission, right? And, and that mission is to go. And then what's happening here in Matthew 10 is some instructions as they go. Think about how mandatory directions are for progress. Uh, there was a man walking down a residential street, and he noticed a guy that was struggling uh, with a washing machine at the doorway of his house. He volunteered uh, to help, and the, the homeowner was overjoyed, and the two began to struggle and work with this bulky appliance. After several minutes of fruitless effort, the two stopped and just looked at each other. They were on the verge of total exhaustion. When they finally caught their breath, the first man said to the homeowner, we'll never get this washing machine in there. To which the homeowner replied, in? I'm trying to move it out. <laughs> um, trying to help without clear direction from leadership. Have you experienced that at, at work so, sometime? It's fruitless and it's exhausting, right? You want to jump in and help, but you don't have clear direction from leadership. That becomes really frustrating. So what does Jesus tell his team? Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 1. We're not going to read the first four verses, but let me tell you what goes on. Jesus calls over his guys, he gives them authority, and then he sends them out. That's what's going to happen. We're going to look primarily at his words sending them out. Matthew makes a point of naming each individual, just like a graduation. Each individual is important. Think about some of the individuals on this list. In every list of the, uh, of the, of the disciples, you have Peter who is listed first. That's across the board. And um, he's been called elsewhere a first among equals. He's, he's equal with the other disciples, but clearly he was a leader. He was, he, was, he was out there in front. There's James, son of Alphaeus. And instead of calling him the other James or James the second or something else, they call him James, son of Alphaeus. And you know how guys are when they get together and nicknames start to form, you know, over, a, over time? You know, they're probably like, James, son of Alpheus. You know, they probably tacked on that because his dad had the coolest name. And so they, they kind of they did that. How about Simon the Zealot? You know, Simon the Zealot, they, that, that's listed elsewhere several times as well. And they probably, like, got their eyes really big. Simon the zealot, you know, they probably had this little thing going on with little nicknames with, with each other. Matthew's actually really humble because he puts his profession in there. He says, Matthew, the tax collector, who's writing the book? Matthew. You know why that's humble? Because being called out of the tax collector cubicle at the office is really, really shameful for Jewish people. They're, they're, they're turncoats. They're traitors. You know who Matthew wrote to primarily? The Jewish people. He's actually esteeming God by lowering himself and just saying, you know what, let me show you the extent of God's grace. Even a tax collector gets called. How about Judas? Judas, the one who would betray, he gets listed. Why? Because the Bible isn't looking to turn history and make it better. It's just listing who was there. I want you to look at something in your Bibles for a moment. Notice that Matthew lists them, each individual name, but he lists them in pairs. He says blank and blank. My, my Bible then has a semicolon, blank and blank. Right? You, you see that? So each individual is important, but he lists them in pairs. 
In Mark 6, the same event, Mark goes on to say that he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, giving them authority over unclean spirits. In Luke, uh, there's also a time when 72 disciples are sent out. It makes a point of saying they were sent out in pairs. What's true in war, what's true in sports, what's true in life is true in ministry, and that is this, that two are better than one. Teamwork is at the very heart of great achievement, and teamwork is at the very heart of the Great Commission. We're not sent out as lone rangers. We're sent out as teammates. Jesus knew his Bible. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. I'm going to address you this morning as graduates. I recognize this. I recognize that not everyone is enrolled into Jesus School. I recognize that not everyone has made that profession of faith, which is a signpost. And I recognize that not all of you are being sent out on mission from Jesus Christ right now because you're not even enrolled. But this morning, what I'm going to do is this. The way we're taking notes, the way we're kind of uh, looking at things is this. I'm going to give you four things that are kind of a charge to the graduates this morning. So here it is. Graduates, use the buddy system. That's what we see even in, the, even in the intro of Matthew 10, as he calls the graduates to himself, as he calls his disciples to himself. Each individual matters, but he sends them out in pairs. You're going to be learning to work together. Don't just use the buddy system. Use the right buddy. Find the right buddy, right? If you show me your friends, I can predict where you will be in the future. You show me who you hang out with, what you're like. I will begin to tell you how you'll talk, what you'll think is important, and kind of the, the direction of your life. To put it another way, who you run with determines where you run to. Some of you have some friends who are running hard after Jesus, and you're like breathing hard to keep up. Awesome. By the way, little tip for those of you who haven't found a spouse yet, here's a great way to find a spouse. Run hard after Jesus and what he's called you to. And after a season of time, look to your left, look to your right, right, and see who's keeping up. That's, that's where God may call you to, to find a spouse. That's the kind of man, that's the kind of woman that you want as a person running hard after God. All right. Graduations are known for commencement speeches, and commence means what? To start, to begin, Right? I found that kind of interesting, that, that that even is another indication kind of in the theme of it being a, a beginning and not an end. Up the road at Stanford a few years ago, um, a guy by the name of Steve Jobs famously said at a commencement speech, he said, stay hungry, stay foolish. And that's one of the most quoted um, kind of graduation slogans that's, that's out there. So what did Jesus say to the class of 33? Here's the charge. Now, I'm going to switch metaphors for just a moment. Because if you think about Jesus pulling his 12 in, it's less commencement speech, which is usually a little bit of a yawner. You kind of plan on a few little funny, interesting things. But if you're not there in the graduating class, it can get a little long. You're wondering if this is going to end soon. It's hot, all that kind of stuff. And the urgency of the mission, what Jesus is sending them out to, reminds me a whole lot more of what's going to go on tonight, right? It's a coach pulling his team in and going, guys, we're here at the finals. They're not going to hand us the finals. Here's the game plan, right? And so, so it's, more of a, it's more of a coach's huddle. And like I said, this is part graduation speech and part coach's pep talk. So Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 5, it says this. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying... 
The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the... Uh, let me stop there. Verse 7. The, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, Jesus calls us to a life of movement, right? Isn't the Christian life uh, a life of action, of movement? Just look at these first few verses. Sent, don't go, go as you go. Does that sound like he's calling couch potatoes? No. Does it sound like he's calling people to kind of think about him once a week for about an hour? No. It's very much a movement that Jesus calls us to. Remember from a few weeks ago about the Holy Spirit. There's no need for the Holy Spirit if you and I are always in familiar territory, right? There's no need for the Holy Spirit if you and I are always comfortable. Maybe if you never experience the Holy Spirit, ask yourself, am I comfortable, therefore not in need of a comforter? Am I always in familiar territory where I'm always in control, therefore I'm not in need of a counselor, I'm not in need of a guide? Jesus was sending Christians. Therefore, he knew there'd be giant need for doses of comfort, right? There'd be giant need for doses of guidance and a counselor and a help because what they were going to do and what they were called to do, they would need help with. He says, don't go off to other people groups. There are unreached people groups, and Jesus would, would later do that but, or, or later send people there, but it was going to grow out of the local He says, there are confused, lost people in need of God's message of grace right here in your own backyard. Start here. This is an absolutely great principle for missions. When I first went to Valley Church, which is the church that really planted this church, um, uh, some of the youth all wanted to go on a missions trip, and they all wanted to go somewhere far, far away. And I said, that's awesome. We'll go there. Let's start here. How's your campus? How's Homestead High School going? What's happening at Fremont? What's going on in your Christian high school campus? And for almost all of them, straight across the board, there was no mission happening right here. So I said, let's start there. And from there, we moved on to a place called Camp Maymac, which reached out to East Palo Alto students who had never seen anything but a cement jungle and lights on all night long, and they came camping with us for a week. And so these students started to, to put on camps and share the gospel and love on people that weren't like them um, fairly close to home. And gradually, we kind of worked our way out. That's a great principle for you. Sometimes we get locked into thinking, God, you're going to do something great in my life somewhere way out there somewhere. I just had a conversation about half an hour ago with some people sitting in this room. God moves in where we're already at, where we're already interested, and, and his message of love and grace trickles that way. Have you noticed that? Now, sometimes God does, and often God does take that and expand that out. But start here. He says, don't go, and then he says, as you go. And in verse 7 and then in verse 8, we see not only word ministry, but deed ministry. Look at verse 7 with me. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, pay, give without pay. Word and deed ministry. The words, he's sending them out a little bit like Paul Revere. You're going to go out as kind of itinerant preachers saying the kingdom of heaven is near. Who also preached that message? John the Baptist. Who also preached it? Jesus, right? Sometimes they expand it on saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. But the idea is get ready. Something's coming. It's upon us right now. What what I love from this, and by the way, in your community groups, many of whom are on a break, so you'll do this individually or as a family, 
we're going to kind of look into, you know, you can't just take this and port it over to all of us, because this was a specific charge given to a specific group of people at a specific time. However, as disciples of Jesus some 2,000 years later, there are, there are kind of the spirit and heart of what Jesus is getting at that we can, that we can glean from. And I love that we don't have to come up with new material. We don't have to dream up something for God. Paul wrote it this way in Romans. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because that's the power to save. So learn what the gospel is and repeat that message. It's something like repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so he's sending them out. Here's the words that you say. Accompanying those words are going to be some works. And these aren't just wow factor works. These are signs. And they're not just done arbitrarily. I'm giving you power to do some signs that will accompany the words, and that will speak loudly to the lost sheep of Israel. Why? Because God's done that all along, right? Word and work. Deed and, and, and words going together. And they illustrate what God is up to in our time. Healing and bringing to life and cleansing and releasing from spiritual bondage. This is what he sent out his disciples to do. Again, as a, re- as a review from a couple of weeks ago, remember that when we're given power, we're not to take that and hoard it and build up our status. You and I are given power. You and I are given gifts as a means of serving other people, not of building our status. Graduates, here's what I would say. Complete your assignment. If you want to complete your assignment, it takes with knowing what the assignment is, correct? You have to know what it is you're called to. Here's what's true. Everyone can't do it all. So discover what it is that God's wired you to do. Discover what it is God's called you to proclaim. The gospel, yes, that's across the board. But then there are specific things God often calls people into, specific ways that he's wired them. Know your place and know your message, but knowing is not enough. Complete the assignment. Be found faithful. Go and do. And in the spirit of Starting here, start right here. Start at NBC. Start in San Jose. Start at your campus. Start at your place of employment. Start in your neighborhood. That's the place to begin. Once you learn something about what, um, a question pops up quickly, and that is how. As in, how am I supposed to get this done? I know the assignment now. I know what what it is I'm supposed to do. How are we going to get that done, and how are we going to pay for it, right? I mean, those are questions that immediately start to come to mind once you land on the what. Follow along with me in verse 8 and continuing. Last part of verse 8. You received without paying. Give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts. No bag for your journey nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for a laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find who is worthy in, in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your presence come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust of your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Here's how I would sum up that if you're taking notes. Trust God to provide. Trust God to provide. 
Doing spiritual, eternal work looks a lot different than conducting business as usual, right? Business as usual is I have a product, I market it to you, you, you think it's worthwhile, and you hand me money. God's way is this. Freely, I'm going to pour out and be generous to you. You're going to be a conduit, and you're going to give it away for free, and it's going to be a blessing. That's how I want you to conduct business. Jesus points to the practical needs. You're still going to need to sleep. You're still going to need to eat. You still have just the basic stuff of life. You can't float above that somehow as a minister of God. Therefore, be willing to receive. Doesn't pride have a way sometimes of enjoying being the one in control and always doling out blessing and always praying for other people and always giving away? And the second someone turns and says, hey, how can I pray for you? Or you seem to be in need. There's a wall that goes up. You know what that is? It's called pride. It's sinful. Repent of it. Jesus sends out these pairs, and he says, I'm going to meet your needs, catch this, through people. Through regular people. So be willing to receive. It's not a godly thing to always say, no, 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 you keep it. Oftentimes, that's past pride. So I'm going to meet your needs. It's going to come through people. Guess what? That's going to be humbling. Guess what? That's going to be scary because you're not in control of whether or not you have enough. You don't know what's coming in the next town. That's really freaky. That's the life of faith that I'm calling you to. Let your actions preach. So stay where God is working and be okay when he's not moving in a place. Be okay to move on. You can tell sometimes people who are witnessing for their own glory, for their own purpose to somehow be be propped up. This is who I am. I I need to get it out. Is that they'll not just offer a cup of cold water They'll take the cup of cold water, they'll pry someone's jaw open, they say, you will be drinking this. I don't want to die! Yes, you will! That's people who have to get their message out and have to win the argument and have to go indiscriminately just to everyone like that. There's a partnership here, right? And where God's working and moving, man, move in that direction. Read the book of Acts, it's pretty fascinating because... Several times there's just spots where it says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to kind of go over here. That process is mysterious. It's not one, two, three where you just lay it out. There's a, there's a movement to it. And the way that you act, where you stay, how you conduct business will preach. Your actions will speak. He says don't play the fool by using all of your surplus to ease your discomfort while other people suffer. Don't be a collector of goods. If I'm blessing you with stuff, that's yours to give away. The economics of Christ is really simple. Be rich to God. Let me show you one more supply line that fits in with this point, but isn't until later uh, in the passage. Look down at verse 19. He says, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. And then look at these next three words. At that time, at that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. You ever come into a situation you didn't know how to say it or what to say, right? But you feel like you're in God's will of moving into that situation. It wasn't for your own comfort. It wasn't for your own glory. Trust God to provide. Not only the means to have you stay somewhere, not only the means to fill up your stomach and give you a safe place to rest at night, not only the means to travel from place to place,
but the means to do the word ministry that he's called you to do. That's a real act of faith, to put yourself out there and say, God, I'm trusting for you to provide at just the right moment. John Piper said it this way, if you want to be a conduit for God's grace, you don't have to be lined with gold. Copper will do. That had to be taken directly from this passage. All right, so Jesus knows what the 12 are up against and in for. And here you have, think about this, you have the good shepherd, right, sending his flock out into a pack of wolves. He's still good. He knows what he's doing. And here he is sending them out. So he gives them kind of a, kind of a heads up. And the heads up is this. Verse 16. It says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Here's how I'd sum up all of that. Graduates, keep on learning. Verse 16 is a clear charge to reason, to think, to be in the game. He's saying, don't be naive nor cunning. The word shrewd means sharp, clever, perceptive, aware. This is a good thing. Jesus is saying, have your head on straight. If anyone told you that, you know, finding Jesus was checking your brain at the door, they're wrong. But he pairs that with be innocent. Innocent, honorable, above suspicion, not guilty of crime or offense. You know what a dove does when there's conflict of another bird? It moves on. Jesus was saying as he sends them out, be like a dove in that situation. Move on. Either characteristic without the other one can be really dangerous. Think about shrewd or wise um, without innocence. Being shrewd or wise is the goal of a lot of people. You know why? Because it can really get you ahead in some different ways in this world. Isn't that right? Shrewd and wise can lead to being cunning and crafty and devious and scheming and deceitful, if not balanced by innocence. And then think about innocence for a second. Innocence can lead to naivete, being gullible, having no judgment, no street smarts, easily exploitable, if not for also being shrewd. So Jesus pairs those together. You know what's awesome? This is where pairs in ministry helps. Oftentimes in a marriage, oftentimes in a pair of ministry, you have one that leans toward the innocent camp and one that leads toward the wise, shrewd camp. You ever see that? Those are good sharpening things to have as a pair in ministry. Now, God just told them to lean on God for providing, but too many Christians stop there. 
They lean on God without learning. And by leaning on God without learning, without doing your part, it takes the partnership and it puts it all on God. Have you seen the bumper sticker, the little slogan that says, uh, let go and let God? Right? There's some truth to that, but not countered. That can take a partnership and make it completely lopsided. Do you see that learning is active? Learning is participatory, right? Learning is our part of the, of the equation. We're to have our head on. We're to make decisions and rule with Christ as we go out on mission and say, who's, who's the person of peace here? Who should I be working with? Who should I be veering away from in this moment? Maybe you could add the word forever. Graduates, keep on learning for forever. That's something that I hope doesn't end for me. I want to invite up Jonathan right now. Uh, last week, we prayed for our students as they went off to, to the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. And it's really a picture of sheep and wolves and snake and doves going on um, here. And so I've asked Jonathan to just share a little bit about, uh, about his experience up there. Yeah. So we all went up with the ministry called San Francisco City Impact, and they demonstrate this pretty well with the sending out in pairs and the training you beforehand. We all went and had a church service there, and then we got a little message from a guy on the type of people we were going to go see in the program we did, which was adopt a building, and you go into these hotel-like buildings and you deliver meals to people who don't get to leave their room very often because of circumstances. And so you get sent out as in our, our group that went, but we split up into groups of three or two. And so that was that part of it. And then you go and you talk to people and you hand out food. And God provided food. It's all donated to City Impact. So we handed out boxes of, we handed out pizza and we handed out, we had these giant boxes of bananas and we handed out bananas to people. And so that was, that was kind of cool because you walk up to somebody and you'd knock on the door and they'd open it and they'd be like, yeah, we have food for you. Well, what do you have? We have a lot of bananas. <laughs> and you'd be like, you like bananas? Yeah, bananas are good for me. Potassium, you know, it's all good. Um, and then there was just a couple people that you'd get to talk to for a little bit longer and it'd be interesting. You'd be like, hey, can we pray for you for anything? And sometimes they say no and you'd be okay. And then they close the door and you walk down the hall and pray for them anyways. Um, but then uh, certain people you could pray with. And I remember there was this one guy, his name was Moses, I think Moses Family. And I was like, oh, that's a cool name. Um, and so we, we prayed for him. He had a cat and we just, that's, that's what I remember. We prayed for him. It was cool. Um, yeah, so I, City Impact does this whole thing exactly as it's written. And I thought that was cool yeah. listening today. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Jonathan. Let's thank Jonathan. So, so Jonathan, Jonathan really is representative of a, of a group of people that, that, that went down to, to, to do that. And they model freely they've received, freely they, they, they give out. I picked up the students. I said, hey, what did you guys do? We passed out bananas and pizza. I'm like, wow, awesome. You know, was there wolf-like activity going on in the Tenderloin District last Sunday? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Jonathan's one of those that went for the full week um, this summer. And... Um, and they saw a lot of stuff. They saw a lot of wolf-like stuff. They were in need of a comforter. They were in need of a guide, the Holy Spirit, as they went. And yet it's just awesome. It's neat to hear the stories. The, the van load I picked up from the train station said, man, it wasn't long enough. So short to just go up for an eight-hour quick, you know, quick day. Um, so neat, neat to hear of, of the students being up there. You know, the, 
lyrics of a song um, sum up the human condition. I bought the world and sold my heart. And the refrain of this line says this, you, talking about Jesus, traded heaven to have me again. You know, we talk a lot about dreams, and I think there's a quota that needs to be met at every graduation. I think you're supposed to say the word dream at least 15 times, I, I think. I'm not sure. Dreaming is really, really good. Uh, sometimes our dreams work out, and they look something like this here. Don't you love stories like that? I mean, when it goes like that, you're just thrilled. You go, yes. And that's what we dream about. That's what we think about in high school graduation. And by college graduation, sometimes it looks a little different. Sometimes our dreams look a little different than that. Um, and they, they run something more uh, like, like this here. So that was just a hike a few weeks ago, and, uh, and I got looking at my children, I thought, man, you know, uh, stunted dreams, dreams that don't ever take flight, and so we do what Kaya did, we just rip them off and chuck them on the ground. There, how's that? What if, what if high school was the pinnacle? What if that was the highest place in life? That's it. This is as good as life gets. Here's a piece of cake and a balloon. Congratulations, right? Those of us with a little more gray hair know that that's simply not true. Praise God, that's not true. I loved high school. I had a great high school experience. I'm so thrilled there's so much more to it. Isn't this what Jesus is telling us? There's so much more than this life. There's so much more than just what you're looking at right now. Don't just live for the signpost of, you know, of, he who dies with the most toys wins. There's, there's so much more to it. Like most teachers, Jesus doesn't shy away from drawing lines. This, this is a powerful passage showing that much is on the line. He calls people sheep. He calls people lost sheep. He calls people wolves. Doesn't mince words about drawing lines that you will encounter different kinds of people. Let me leave you with a passage that Paul wrote that fits in our school graduation theme motif. 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. So test yourselves, it says. So is Jesus in you? Are you in Jesus? Uh, if you're wondering that this morning, there's a whole other sermon that's coming that will, that, will, that will address that. If you're not in Jesus and Jesus isn't in you, some people asked Peter uh, after he gave a sermon, 
after the word of God cuts them to the heart, we get it. We want to make ready for the kingdom of heaven being near. What must we do? He said this, repent, believe, and be baptized, every one of you, because the individual is important. And then I would add to that, because I'm sure Peter would add to it, follow. Get up and follow. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the comfort we find in it. Thank you for the, the warning and the scary parts to it. God, I pray that you would help us as followers of you, as ponderers of whether you're telling the truth or not, to be ones that would engage with this, God, that we'd be active participants in what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.